Hey there, and welcome to the Oxano Podcast. Oxano is a worship service for college students and young adults that takes place weekly during the school year at Dawson Family of Faith. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama on a Tuesday night, we hope you'll join us as we worship through song, prayer, and the Word. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. How are y'all? Um, if y'all don't know me, my name is Cole Fryer. I'm on staff here at Dawson. My wife and I both are on staff. Sydney works with the preschool ministry, and we met at Dawson. I proposed in front of the sanctuary, like true Dawson couple, you know, all the things. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm so glad you guys are here, and I am very excited to share with you guys the message that Paul has for the Church of Ephesus. So we're doing a little mini series right now and you're catching the last half. So last week we started with the first half of Ephesians 4. Jacob taught on what it looks like to grow in the church, what it looks like to be a communal body growing together in the church. But this week, I'm gonna talk about what precedes that, deciding to become a Christian. You've decided to become a Christian and to follow Christ, but now what? What does that Christian walk look like? Let's start in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And so Paul first starts by talking about what not to do. This is how not to follow Jesus. And so it's a pretty simple statement, right? He's saying Christians no longer act like unbelievers. So when he's talking about Gentiles here, he's talking about the unbelievers. So he's saying, now that you believe in Jesus, no longer act like people who don't believe in Jesus, That's pretty simple. It's not a very controversial statement. He's just kind of setting the bar, setting it straight. And he's talking to just a metropolis of sexual immorality with the church of Ephesus. Ephesus was just this hub for sexual immorality and for occult practices. Everyone was always trying to figure out how they could conjure up a spirit or how they could please their fleshly desires. And he's talking to these people and he's saying, listen, we're gonna start acting like people who follow Jesus. Because these Gentile walkers, these unbelievers, they're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous. Or if you're reading the NIV, the NIV is gonna say, they have lost all sensitivity. They have lost all sensitivity to God. And so just as start off asking you a question. Have you ever felt super close to God? Have you ever felt super sensitive to God's presence? You, you and God are having a wonderful relationship. Your spiritual disciplines are on track. You and God are just, you're vibing. You, you, you feel like, you, like the relationship is smooth. It's solid. You feel his nearness. But then also, have you ever not felt like that? Have you ever not felt his presence? Have you ever not been sensitive to his nearness and his closeness? And so that's what he's saying here is that these people are not, they're no longer sensitive to God's presence around them. 
And Paul is suggesting that this is so because they're not focusing on the things of God and communing with him. And now before I even make this statement, I want to be very clear. Reading your Bible more, praying more, focusing on your spiritual disciplines more, waking up every morning at 4 a.m. and praying two more hours a day, all those things are great, but they're not going to prevent car wrecks and they're not going to keep away bad grades and they're not going to scare away job demotions and they're not going to keep diseases away. That's not what I'm trying to say. But what I am suggesting, however, is that immersing yourself with Jesus is the key to an unhardened heart. And also a life that is eternal. Immersing yourself with Jesus is the key to an unhardened heart. So why do you think we have such a hard time finding time to spend with Jesus in prayer, meditation, worship, reading his word? Why do you think that is? So one book that I have just been immersed in, engulfed with lately, and it's on the bookstall. I've told Jacob to order more, so we have more on the way. There's only three. So only three lucky people, if y'all want to get, get, get it tonight, if you want to buy it tonight. But it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. And I don't know if you've read it before, but it is some good stuff. I'm only halfway through it. So I'm taking it slow because I got a lot of other books to read in seminary. Um, but I... I am loving this book right now. And what he talks about at the very beginning with this idea of hurry is what the problem is. And the problem is we are just distracted with so many different things. And so here, here's a couple of, um, here's some data for you. If you're analytical, here's some data for you. So he talks about how one famous Senate subcommittee in 1967, they were told that by 1985, because... By, by 1967, they were getting the instant coffee pots and they were getting laundry machines and they were getting dishwashers and they were getting microwaves and all these newfangled things, all this new technology was coming about. And so because all these things to cut corners and to make things faster and to make life go faster, because all of those things were coming out, they were told that, by 19, that in 1967, by 1985, the average American is only going to have to work 22 hours a week for 27 weeks a year. They thought that the problem with 1985 was be that we would have too much leisure time on our hands. We would have too much time to do nothing. And we wouldn't have enough, we wouldn't be spending enough time working. When in all actuality, I know, I'm sure a lot of you are laughing because in all actuality, the average American works nearly four more weeks a year than they did in 1979. We're working more. The problem isn't leisure time, it's that we're working more. Another recent study has found that, an, that the average iPhone user touches his or her phone 2,617 times a day. Another study was done that the average American spends 705 hours a year just on social media. And that the average American spends 2,738 hours a year on TV. So what, um, another one that he's saying is that the average guy, okay, I'm talking to the guys now, the average man, he spends 10,000 hours playing video games before he turns 21. 
Do you realize that in 10,000 hours, you could get a bachelor's degree and a master's degree? In 10,000 hours, you could literally be an Olympic athlete. You, if you spent all 10,000 hours, you could literally be an Olympic athlete. And so in the midst of this crazy busy life, I'm just gonna ask a simple, humble question. Could we perhaps be missing the big picture? So John Mark Homer, he also writes so beautifully and it really convicted me and I've read this list so many times. When, all, when this crazy busy life and when these deceitful desires and distractions are all that we're consuming, this becomes our reality. Somehow you started a business, but you ended a marriage. You got your kids to their dream college, but you never taught them the way of Jesus. You got letters after your name, but you learned the hard way that intelligence is not the same as wisdom. You made a lot of money, but you never grew rich in the things that matter most, which ironically aren't things at all. You watched all 14 seasons of fill in the blank show, but you never learned to love prayer. And so again, I'm not trying to push a legalist agenda I'm not trying to say that when you go home, if you throw your Xbox controller in the trash can, that nothing will go wrong in your life ever again. I'm not trying to say that. That's not what I'm saying. But I implore you to meditate on what is important, what is lasting, and what is eternal, and that is Jesus. And they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. It's the difference between what we want and what God wants. We're pushing our own agenda and we're ignoring God's. And that's called greed. And Jesus talks about greed a lot. I I encourage you to go in the Bible and figure out how many times Jesus himself talks about greed and Jesus' followers talk about greed. It's a lot. Just to give you a few examples, Matthew 6, 33, but first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Luke 12, 15, take care and be on guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so I'm not just talking about money here. Jesus isn't just talking about money here. He's also talking about the root of greed, and that is self-centeredness. Only caring about what we want. When greed rules our days, we become callous to God's plans and only interested in our own. We're only pushing our own agenda. We're basically saying to God, I have no interest in what you want at all. I'm just gonna stick to my own plans. No thanks, God. I'm not gonna do what you want me to do. I'm not gonna do what you have said is best for me to do. I'm just gonna just do what I think is best. Verse 20, but this is not the way you learn Christ. Christian, this is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. 
to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. When we have become overwhelmed with our own desires and when we become overwhelmed with all of these distractions, we often tell ourselves this lie. And again, I'm not trying to call anyone out. Cole Fryer says this lie to himself a lot, okay? If only I had blank, then I'd be happy. If only I had a full-time job, dream job, then I'd be happy. If only I had a degree, then I'd be happy. If only I had a boyfriend, girlfriend, or husband or wife, then I'd be happy. If only I got that job promotion, then I'd be happy. If only I won step sing sweepstakes, then I'd be happy. <laughs> I did it two years. It's so much fun. Um, these desires, they won't complete you. That's the problem. The problem is they won't complete you. Every desire not centered around Christ is temporary. And so another question I'd like to ask you, and for you to ask yourself is, are you possibly putting too much weight on a temporary desire that can't fill you up? And if so, are you often sad when it doesn't fill you up? Because the truth is that Jesus fills you up and that he's where the truth is. I encourage you to etch this on your heart because the truth is in Jesus. In a world full of lies, the truth is in Jesus. These are Paul's words to the church of Ephesus. This is God's word to us. In a world full of lies, the truth is in Jesus. And so what does Paul then say in verse 22? Take off the old self. Take it off. Are you overwhelmed with the weight of your sin sometimes? I know I am. Are you overcome with just how heavy your guilt is and how weighty your own sinful desires are? Is it sometimes hard for you to look in the mirror at yourself and look at yourself in the eyes and only see those sinful desires? Jesus took that guilt that you're feeling, he put it upon himself and he killed it on the cross. He absolutely demolished it. It is gone because Jesus has taken the guilt away. And that's so good. That's why we as Christians call the gospel the good news because that's good news. It, it, it's good news to the believer to know that their guilt has been taken away. And so are y'all familiar with the Levitical priests? Have you read about them in the Bible? These men were in charge of the right worship of God. And as such, they were given specific instructions. If you want to read the specific instructions, they're in Exodus 28. Um, the specific instructions in Exodus 28 of just how to dress appropriately. They were, this is just how to dress, just so they can enter into the holy place of the tabernacle. And so here's a picture of the high priest's golden garments. So you have things like, the linen turban, plate of pure gold, shoulder straps, 
breastplate of judgment, four rows of stones and setting. You have chains, sashes, linen coats, breeches, pomegranates, gold bells. You got a robe. You got a setting of gold stones for memorial. Can you imagine how heavy this thing is, putting all this on? I mean, that's a lot of garb. That's a lot. The weight, so in biblical times and in history, the weight of the robe covered with stones, it was symbolic of the burden of sin. And so thank God we have what we're about to read in in Hebrews 4. For we do not have a high priest, Jesus Christ, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to them in need. Jesus bore this weight because he is the high priest. He took the weight off of the priest. He put it on himself as the high priest and he killed all of that weight on the cross. And so now we as Christians can give our old self up. We can give that burden of sin away. It's, Jesus wants to take it off of us. And so another question I have for you is, are you tired of feeling old? Are you tired of feeling like your old self? Are you tired of living and dying under the weight of a fantasy self you are failing to become? Are you tired of wearing that mask when you're living in the old life? And what Paul is trying to tell his people, what Paul is trying to tell you is we have been made new. We've been made new. He continues writing in verse 24, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. This is why I love being a Baptist, okay? We practice baptism post-conversion by immersion, which means when you have proclaimed Christ as your savior, then you are immersed into the water. And as we say, you have been buried with Christ in baptism and you are raised to walk in newness of life. Isn't it good being a Baptist? (laughs) So I go to an interdenominational seminary. I love all my Presbyterian, Episcopal, and Anglican and Methodist friends. They're great, but it's good to be a Baptist sometimes. Um, All of those who accept Jesus as their savior, this is their new reality. They are raised to walk in newness of life. And so I'm telling you, Christian, you're a Christian now. You're new now. This is not just a new set of beliefs, but it's a new life. And so I invite you to respond. You're a Christian now. You're new now. This is not just a new set of beliefs, but a new life. Because Christ, he's the ultimate redeemer and he wants to give us this new life and he's redeemed us from the weight of sin. He's redeemed us from all that weight that the Levitical priests had to wear to 
symbolically represent the burden of sin. He's taking it off and putting it on himself and he wants to do the same to you. And Christian, you already should be living in this new reality. Let's continue reading in verse 25. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with someone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up. As fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Paul continues to showcase Christ as the redeemer. He's continuing this. And what's so beautiful is that he also talks about how the Holy Spirit is not something to be grieved. It's something that Christians are sealed on the day of redemption. And it's, it's just such a blessing that as a believer, the, the Spirit can work in and through you and mature your faith and spur you on to do good works and to serve the Lord and to grow to truly grow up in the faith. The Holy Spirit is spurring you on to mature in Christ. And so when this is your new reality, lies, they turn into truth. And anger is no longer a sinful emotion. And theft is turned into sharing. And corrupting talk is now gracious speech. And bitterness and malice and clamor and slander are now kindness. All of these things are being redeemed. And this is the overflow of the spirit in the Christian. This is what the life looks like. This is what, this is, this is what it looks like to grow up in the faith. These attributes, they flow forth from a heart with true intimacy with Christ. What we talked about before, intimacy with Christ, spending time with the Lord, and so all of this, all of this, it's possible because of God's mercy for us, because Christ has forgiven us. Like it says in verse 32, Christ has forgiven us, has Christ forgave us. And if you are looking for a verse to memorize, I think scripture memory is one of the best spiritual disciplines that you can practice. It is so useful. If you were looking for a scripture to memorize, I suggest Ephesians 4, verse 32. I think it's a great one to start with. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This should motivate the life of the Christian, the life of the one who has put their hands in the God who made them and redeemed them. Because Christ has forgiven us, we can live in this new life that Paul encourages us to be our new reality. This can be our new reality. And so how do we do this? I know I've talked about it and I know I've made it, you know, hopefully I've made it sound good and, and hopefully it's flowed well, but how, how do we actually do this? Sounds great, Cole, but how, how do we actually live in this new life? 
Number one, you have to recognize who has saved you. Christ alone. Jesus is Lord. Number two, pray to him. Prayer is such a gift for the life of the Christian. It's such a gift for us to be able to communicate with the God who put the oxygen in the air and who grew the trees and put the breath in the lungs that you're breathing now and gave you the ability to remember how to walk this morning. That God, we can pray to him and it's such a gift. And so I encourage you, Christian, to pray to the God who made you and loves you and redeemed you. Number three, you lean on your brothers and sisters in the church. This is why it's so important that we started the semester off in Ephesians 4 and what it looks like to be unified in the body of Christ. And this is why it's so important that Jacob preached on what he did last week. And I encourage you, if you, if you missed last week, to go ahead and listen to last week's sermon on Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 16, what it looks like to grow in the body of Christ because our brothers and I mean, this is why it's so important you're here today because your brothers and sisters, you're leaning on each other. You're, you're being held accountable. The church is discipling you and it's such a gift. This is also why worshiping at home is not sufficient and why during COVID so many people were so heartbroken and so many people drew away from God because worshiping while you're vacuuming or while you're in the car is great, but it is not the church. It, it's different whenever I know that that person, their aunt just passed away. And when I know that that person, their dad just got a horrible diagnosis. And when I know that that person just lost their job and when I see all of them collectively praising the same God, I'm mutually encouraged by that. And that is such a beautiful thing. And it's why we don't all worship alone in our homes. It's why we have a community, a body to worship Jesus. Lean on your brothers and sisters in the church. Number four, embrace the new life you have been given and live based on that truth. There's a difference between just merely recognizing that Christ has saved you and letting the fact that Christ has saved you guide the trajectory of your life. There's a difference between saying, I know that Jesus is Lord and he saved me and saying, Jesus is Lord, he has saved my life and now I am his. My days are now his. And so I know in the context, we're in Birmingham, Alabama. I'm speaking to a lot of people who go to a Christian university. I know a lot of times it is very cool to be a Christian. It is not hard to say you're a Christian. You're not afraid to say you're a Christian. Um, even those of you who don't go to a Christian university or aren't surrounded by Christians every day, it's, it's not weird to say you're a Christian in a lot of contexts, not all, but in a lot. And so I encourage you to fall away from having your identity and your popularity being only in, I'm a Christian because it's cool and because it makes me feel good in social contexts. And 
it makes me feel a lot better whenever I'm posting my scripture on my Instagram with my coffee perfectly placed and I'm, people know I'm reading my Bible and it's really great whenever I'm in three Bible studies at once because I'm so busy, I don't even have enough time to spend time with God communally, just the two of us. And so it, it, I'm not trying to call anyone out, but I'm just saying that it's not weird to be a Christian and in, in that context, a lot of times, Jesus is just someone we look at to make us popular when in all actuality, he's the one who gives us a new life. And so I'm telling you again, you're a Christian now. You're new now. This is not just a new set of beliefs, but a new life. And so I've talked a lot to the Christian today. And so now I'm gonna talk to the unbeliever, the one who's not sure, the one who's still trying to figure it out. I encourage you today to embrace this new life that is so freely offered to you. You do not have to pray some you know, magical prayer or say some specific incantation or cast a magic spell or do some mathematical equation or run a marathon to be able to follow Jesus. All you have to do is say, Jesus, you are Lord. I surrender to you because I know that you have saved my life and now your life, my life is yours. I'm recognizing that you have saved me and now I'm letting that guide the trajectory of my entire life. And so I, I, I just implore you to, to embrace this today because the guilt that we've talked about and the weight and the shame of past sin, sin shame is real, past sin there's, there's an opportunity for you to be able to take all that weight off. And it's beautiful because you're not the one who's taking it off. Jesus is taking it off for you. And so it's, it's not in our own strength that we're doing any of this, but I, I encourage you, Christian, surrender to Jesus because he loves you and he made you and he, he saved you and he wants to be your God and your savior forever. And so um, I'm gonna pray, but afterwards we're gonna have a time of meditation. We call it 120. It's a fancy way of saying two minutes um, where you sit in silence. A lot of times this is the only silence that you're gonna get all week and all semester maybe. Um, I encourage you to embrace that silence and to just really focus and meditate on two questions. What is God saying to me through his word? And what am I going to do about it? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we love you so very much. And we're so thankful for who you are. We're so thankful that you are a God who loves us and who has saved us. And who wants to commune with us forever. Lord, I pray that you convict the heart of the Christian today for them to truly embrace the new life they have been given. And I also pray you convict the heart of the one who is unsure so they can accept you today and embrace the new life that is so freely offered to them. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Oxano Podcast. If you're interested in the songs that we sing, you can find us on Spotify at Oxano Songs We Sing.
If you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about next steps in following him, please email us at connect at dawsonchurch.org. We'll see you next week.